Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am super excited to be introducing you to our next special guest, all the way from WA Perth, Claire Gasper. Claire is an accredited practicing dietitian and a credentialed eating disorder clinician who works as a non-diet dietitian. Claire also co-parents two little children and is the owner of her own private practice, Diet Free Me. On today's episode, Claire shares her own lived experience with dieting, disordered eating and body image concerns, where Claire speaks about her own recovery journey and how it has now helped her in being able to show up as the clinician that she is. So please welcome our next guest, Claire. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Claire. You're welcome. Would you be able to start us off with a little background information about yourself? <laughs> sure. Some things that you like to do to stay well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm Claire. I'm a non-diet dietitian. I specialise in working with people with eating disorders, disordered eating and body image concerns. I work full-time in my own practice. I'm also a very busy mum of (laughs) two young children and and a dog. And the things that really meet my needs in terms of my mental well-being, um, definitely spending time with my friends. I, I am very fortunate to have some truly wonderful friends in my life that I just always feel so replenished when I when I visit. Um, listening to music, having my my regular sessions with my psychologist, taking my medication as prescribed, trying to get enough sleep, move my body in ways that feels enjoyable, nourish my body, all of those sorts of things as well. Yes, and I really love the friend one because to mm. find really good supportive friends when you do. It's just so valuable to your life. It's oh, it's amazing. You, you're like, I just want to be with you all the time because <laughs> you. I feel so good when I'm with you. Yes, definitely. So each week on the podcast, we do like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced mm. and how they have managed to overcome it. Do you have yeah. one? Oh, I feel like life is throwing me so many challenges at the moment. <laughs> it's hard to pick one. I I think for me, a lot of my challenges do come with with parenting. So I'm a a single parent of a four-year-old and, and a six-year-old. I co-parent with their dad, but we we share care. And my four-year-old is 
is really struggling with expressing his emotions at the moment and he is experiencing some really strong emotions at times and I I find that quite triggering and it it's a challenge for me to to be that calm you know stronger bigger wiser kinder parent that that he needs in those moments where I'm tired I've had a long day my battery's running low um and it it seems to be consistently around sleep time so that that's a, a challenge um yeah so that's something that I'm working through at, at the moment is um a, a challenge as a parent but also in then supporting my my son with something that he's obviously feeling challenged by yes and you'll definitely go through different challenges with children but they're always changing yeah yeah exactly and I guess you kind of talked a little bit about taking medication and seeing this mm. I guess did you want to talk all childhood and a little bit more about that yeah, sure. So I, in you know, in many ways, feel feel quite fortunate. Both my my parents have a background in psychology. Um, neither of them work as psychologists, but that was their their background. That's what they studied at university, um, and that's how they met <laughs> at a uni party. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there were quite a few. I guess sort of skills that that I was taught without necessarily realizing that that they were skills that I was being taught and and I feel like you know I had some some fairly normal childhood challenges I remember feeling a bit anxious about going to school when I was in primary and and I would sort of say that my tummy was sore and that was likely yeah just to feeling a bit nervous I think um so I yeah I, I childhood was was fairly normal I guess I'm the oldest child so there's always challenges with being the oldest sibling I think and having younger siblings that you love but are also sometimes really annoying <laughs> and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I actually started to experience um, some more pronounced mental health challenges um, during my my teenage years. There were things that I guess were were normalized societally. So I wouldn't have labeled them as anything because I I, I guess I didn't understand at the time that there there was actually something concerning there so being being bullied for example that was something that I I experienced through year eight and year nine I then went away to school for years 10 11 and 12 um but year eight and nine I was bullied but didn't really realize that's what it was that it that it counted as as that um I've I've had challenges in terms of my relationship with food and definitely my relationship with my body um and it's only in in doing this work professionally that I've been able to reflect on the the struggle that I had sort of during my my teenage years and see it for what it for what it really was um but at the time I didn't really recognize that there was anything 
that I could have gotten help with. Um, so I, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 22. I was my, doing my postgrad year at uni and I was also diagnosed with glandular fever around the same time. So that was a pretty, um, pretty intense time for me. Um, started on medication, started working with a, a psychologist and, and then I was diagnosed with ADHD in my early 30s, which makes so much sense when I look back at all of the, the different parts of my life that um, I couldn't quite explain. And I, oh, I missed out that I was, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression after having my son who was born right around the time that the COVID pandemic hit. Um, so I had a, a two-year-old, I had a newborn baby, we were in lockdown, <laughs> I had postnatal depression. I also experienced birth trauma as well. So that was a really intense time for me. And then, yeah, not long after that, diagnosed with the ADHD. Um, I've also since received some other mental health diagnoses. And so for me, it sort of felt like mental well-being has been forced to the, the top of my priorities list um not just for my sake but the, the sake of of my family as well um i've been through a divorce and that is incredibly taxing on on mental well-being so um i i i am such a, a big advocate for taking care of yourself mentally in in the same way that that we're encouraged to take care of ourselves physically yeah not sure if that answered all of your questions or just <laughs> was me rambling on a little bit there. No, it did. And you're so brave for being here today. So thank you for coming and, you're and welcome. sharing all of that. And I guess <laughs> I do want to ask how like food and body, I guess, came in all of that because there's yeah. so much that you would have experienced. And then that also being in there with your history of bullying and figuring out things about yourself which has been mm -hmm. but I guess how did all of that come into it as well yeah sure so as a child I I got my period early which meant that I gained height um a, a lot more quickly or earlier than some of the other kids in in my age so I also developed breasts a little early as well so I remember as a as a 12 year old you know back in in year seven feeling like I was bigger than other certainly other girls my age and um I had you know these more pronounced feminized features and that felt a bit weird and it was getting attention from people, but I wasn't sure what, what to do with that and just feeling, feeling different and feeling like I, yeah, I was bigger than, than my peers. Um, I have specific sort of memories from around that, that maybe two, three year period of, of not, liking my body and and wanting to change my body feeling concerned that maybe I was eating the wrong things or eating unhealthy things um 
one specific memory that I, I hold, and it's still very, very strong, I can picture it <laughs> so, so strong, is there was one time that I wrote a, a note to myself and I wrote it in pink and yellow highlighters because I was, you know, 12 or 13 or something like that little flowers and the note said think first do I really need this and I stuck it on the fridge and I I think about that and I just have so many questions that I would love to put to my younger self to work out what is going on for you? What help do you need right now? What do you, you know, what are you struggling with? And, and that makes me, you know, I do feel sad for my younger self thinking, gosh, you, you were clearly trying to stop yourself from doing something that you, you felt was wrong, you know, eating certain foods or, you know, what was driving that for you? Um, I, I also remember that there was a period, I think, again, maybe year eight or year nine, where I stopped eating at school. I stopped taking lunch to, to school. We just pack like an apple or something. And I do recall, you know, one night my parents saying to me, you have to eat, you have to start taking to food to, to school. Um, I I later asked my mum about that because I was, I was curious and I didn't have much of a memory of that time um and she said she thought it went on for maybe a few weeks nothing kind of seemed to eventuate from that that raised significant concerns for them for me I sort of see it as as indicative of the the relationship that I was starting to form with my body and with food um that clearly in in my mind there was a, a link there between existing in a in what to me felt like a bigger body and the type of food that I was eating and so that that link then kind of seemed to strengthen I guess as I got older and then I studied nutrition at university and studied dietetics after that and was really exposed to the mainstream medical model of, of healthcare, which is so incredibly weight focused. And at that time, even more BMI focused than it is now, you know, that just seemed to like, yeah, really intensify everything for me in going, oh gosh, you know, I I thought I was overweight, but actually I'm I'm now labeled as as in this BMI category and and you know I should be sitting here and and this is how much I am overweight by and and all of these things. It was like there was suddenly a a framework on which to latch onto. And, and that, you know, that wasn't healthy for me. And I wonder if part of my motivation for studying nutrition was that I had a disordered interest in it. I remember in the, the newspaper that used to come out, I think on a Sunday in, in Perth, there was a section like a health and well-being section. And I would like devour all of the information in there about don't eat this, you know, because it's bad for whatever, or do this to lose weight. Or so I had, I really had an interest in that, but yeah, not in a in a 
from the perspective of learning more about nutrition to take better care of myself. I think there was maybe some underlying hope that if I study this, I might crack the code somehow and then I then I can, yeah, get the the body that I, I want for myself. So my, yeah, my relationship with food and, and my body started healing at the same time that my professional understanding of health and nutrition and and food and weight detoured from that that mainstream um, thinking so it was almost like I was growing and and you know developing into the type of clinician that I am now at the same time as going through all of this personal recovery work to to heal my my relationship with food and my body so putting the things that I was learning kind of professionally into practice you know I was a I was my own guinea pig I guess my own test person um and but it worked it 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 really was going through recovery and all of the work that I now have the privilege to support my clients to do is work that I have done myself. So I know what it's like to, to be at this, this starting point and feel so scared and doubtful and, and distrusting, but then I also know what it's like to come through the other side and feel so proud of what you've been able to achieve through doing that work. And I think it's that personal experience of, of recovery, of you know, getting off that that diet merry-go-round of trying to be good in the morning, and then you know, you just by the end of the day, you've you've done something wrong, and then it's like, oh, stuff it. You know, today's ruined. I may as well just go crazy and have everything that I want. Um, but I'm starting fresh again tomorrow. Um, yeah, that that um, took a long time for me to to heal, like years, years really. But it happened simultaneously with my my professional growth as well. Wow. And how do you find that you kind of got out of that binge cycling and going through, I guess, everything to where you are now? Yeah. So I, for a long time, I guess you know, this sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier that I didn't really realize this is something that I could have gotten help for, you know, when I was struggling with, you know, constantly, like always wanting and trying to lose weight, it was so normalized. And I had such a strong belief that I should would be trying to lose weight to be to get to a you know quote like healthier weight going by my BMI it, it just didn't even enter my brain that maybe what I was doing wasn't the right thing or for, for me you know maybe pursuing weight loss um, wasn't actually health enhancing in, in the way that I'd been conditioned to think it was so I went through recovery by myself, not knowing that it was recovery <laughs> until now I go, oh, yep, okay, I've I've done all of the things that I support my clients to do. I I had to do that and be that 
that therapist for myself, which is a, yeah, um, an experience that gives me a lot of insight into my client work, but also brings me some sadness thinking, gosh, it, it, it was hard and it might have been just a little bit easier had I had support to do that. You know, had I accessed psychology input or, or dietetics input, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't think that it was something that I deserved to seek support for or that that classic thinking in, in the eating disorders world of not being sick enough. You know, I, I well, I don't have an eating disorder because I'm still eating or I clearly can't have an eating disorder because I'm not quite underweight. That that really narrow view of, of what an eating disorder looks like, it was like, well, I don't have that. So I just have this individual problem that everyone else seems to be able to lose weight and keep it off. And my textbook tell me that I should be losing weight going by what I'm doing, but I'm not. So clearly I'm doing it wrong or I'm not trying hard enough or the, the problem lies with me and there's something inherently shameful about that. So I don't want to publicize that and, and open myself up to shame, which I feel, I feel so sad about now, you know, cause I needed help, but I didn't know that I needed help or didn't know that there was help available for me. There is definitely help available on so many people that go through that. And it is hard that the university was teaching about the BMI because there's so many dietitians mm -hmm. that are taking a health at every size, non-diet, yeah. something that psychologists are teaching. It's just something that, you know, is speaking up in this mm. society. Definitely. Yeah. It, it, and I, you know, I'm encouraged by the change in the, in the dietetic industry that I have seen since I I did my dietetics degree you know oh, 11 12 years ago <laughs> a lot has changed since then I every year I'm so fortunate to be invited to speak to the the students at at my old uni about health at every size and the non-diet approach and what I've I've loved is that when I first started doing that you know weight neutrality was like a brand new mind-boggling concept to the students and and now when I go and talk to them a lot of them have already been exposed to the idea of weight neutral care or the non-diet approach which I think is just brilliant because it means the you know the latest generation of dietitians are starting out in a a much better position to to offer weight neutral care and, and a, an approach that doesn't align with dieting than my generation of, of dietitians was. Yeah, and that's amazing to hear that you are able to do that and it's come to that place. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. I love going to speak to the students every year. And for the past couple of years, I've also had the privilege of talking to some med students as well again at the, at the same uni talking about things like weight stigma in healthcare talking about yeah how we could approach um a weight neutral you know uh clients centered session or patient centered session and talking with them so 
I take up any opportunity I, I can really to to discuss this and and just give people you know students and healthcare students the the understanding to sort of then go and and look into this further themselves and and do their own research into this and and grow their their professional understanding. Yeah, and I guess you talked about it before, like going back to having to look after your own children after you've gone through so much. I guess, have you found that your past experience with food has influenced your relationship with your children? Mm, mm, yeah, so I I like, I think many parents of, of my generation have reflected on how I was parented and thought about the things that were helpful, the things that I appreciate, and then also the things that I would like to do differently at, as, a, as a parent now. And one of the, the things that I knew that I wanted to take a different approach on, informed by my experience with disordered eating, was the, the feeding side of things with with my kids so I I chose the approach of baby led weaning when it came time to introduce foods to my little ones and we we sort of loosely followed Ellen Sutter's model which is called the division of responsibility in in feeding where the different eating or feeding tasks appointed to parents and caregivers and and the child differently as they grow into adulthood so the division of those responsibilities looks different for when they're a baby um, relative to when they're a toddler relative to when they're a teenager and an adult and that's uh different to how I was parented so it's little things like needing to eat you know some of all of your vegetables in order to then have dessert you know is is a, a very common experience for people of my generation I don't think that that's a uh, an approach to take with kids that fosters a healthy relationship with those high value foods so I do things differently with my kids they know that if second part of dinner which is what they call dessert if second part of dinner is on offer that's on offer regardless of how much they eat of first part of dinner so we're not treating those you know potentially high value foods any different they're just normal everyday foods well sometimes we eat them every day you know some foods we eat every day um, some foods we don't eat every day and but we still have regular opportunities to enjoy those foods they're not off limits they're not you know once a year type type thing so my kids get offered ice cream and cookies and chocolate and Nutella on their toast and and all sorts of of foods that people might consider unhealthy foods, they get offered those foods regularly. So their relationship with those foods is one where they feel calm. They don't overeat on those foods because they know that there'll always be another opportunity to have them. So why overeat now and and 
make yourself feel uncomfortable when, you know, if not tomorrow, maybe the next day, you'll be offered that food again. So it's a a different, um, a non-diet approach to, to feeding kids that, um, yeah, it's, it's different to how I was parented. And, and I, I certainly acknowledge that all parents are just trying their best and, and doing what they think is, is the right thing by their kids at that time. So I don't, I don't hold a, a, a grudge or anything against my parents for, for feeding me the way they did. I mean, by all accounts, they did a good job because I grew into a, a relatively healthy adult. <laughs> it's just that there are some choices that they made around access to certain foods that, for me, led to developing uh, an unhealthy relationship with those foods. But it, you know, I, I can't speak for my siblings. They might have a different experience. So um, it's it's not a clear case of this led to this or this caused this. Um, just that experience has informed my own choices around feeding my children as a parent. Yeah, and I love that you're taking a non-diet approach. And I guess, do you have anything else that you kind of think about or using your house to kind of create a diet culture free home and I guess when it comes to going yeah. out into this <clears throat> diet culture world if you have any tools for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah look there are lots of of things um language is is really important so um just before I talked about um second part of dinner so we treat foods like ice cream as just one food that is part of many offered at the meal time. We just happen to split it into part one and part two, more for practicality reasons because ice cream melts. <laughs> um, but we don't typically use that language of desserts um, to sort of label it as a special food. Um, we don't use the word treat. We, we certainly don't use the word junk foods in our house. Um, food is just food. Yeah, there's, there's nothing special about it. We play it pretty cool, treat it pretty neutrally when they are offered a, a high-value food. So if I was organising an afternoon snack for them and let's say on their snack plate there were cookies, there was some fruit, some cheese and some crackers, I would, you know, put the plate down and I would explain to them, okay, today, you know, you've got, you've got cookies, you've got some grapes, you've got some cheese and crackers, you can have as much as we need. If you run out and you need more, I'll get you some more. So I'm not treating the, the cookies as any different or any special relative to the other foods. They're all just foods that are on offer. If they choose to just eat the cookies and they don't eat anything else and they ask for more cookies, I give them more. There's no, oh, but you, you know, you've got to eat your other food first or, you know, sure you want that. I'm like slow down a little bit. No, it's, that's one of the foods on offer. Your job is to decide how much your tummy needs. Okay. I trust you. You, you can learn to do this for yourself. So talking about food neutrally, um, not making a big deal when food is offered, those are two pillars, I'd say, of, of this non-diet approach to, to kids, giving them regular opportunities to have those foods and practice 
eating enough to feel satisfied or in our house we say have enough for your tummy to feel happy <laughs> and the the other component of that is of course how we talk about bodies so we talk about bodies in a in a really positive way you know yeah you're getting you're getting so strong look at those those muscles they help you run fast um how you know you can climb really really high uh, I don't use any negative language about my own body in front of them I don't weigh myself so they, they don't observe any of that behavior I rarely look in the mirror it's just more to check whether my earrings match with my dress or something so I'm modeling to them the type of relationship that I I want them to have for themselves um we talk about other people's bodies you know in a very neutral way um and something that um does make some people uncomfortable is I use the word fat to describe my body in a in a very neutral way in the same way that I, I might say I have brown hair I'd say I have a fat body and there's no negative connotations attached to that so normalizing that sort of word or, or destigmatizing that that word is something that's really important for me you know it would make some people uncomfortable though because that that word fat is still seen as a bad word but I want to um yeah reclaim that and and take away the stigma from that so when we're talking about about bodies we we just use those neutral words to to describe bodies I stock up on on books that promote a positive body image with with kids I do curate the the library of books that we have to make sure that there aren't books that describe a relationship with food that that we don't have at home so books that talk about food as as junk foods or unhealthy foods or books where they make fun of other people's bodies or things like that I just don't allow that in in the house um we do what we can in our own homes and hope that that provides a stable enough foundation to um buffer them against what's out there in the in the environment and that's amazing that you're able to do that for them and to have them learn things about like eating and food and relationship with body themselves and mm. giving them a little bit more voice within that is really amazing to see yeah and it it's it's always um fun I think to see other people kind of um marvel at at my my kids and how they do eat a variety of foods even when high value foods are on offer you know, they'll be at a party and yeah, they might eat the crisps, but they also might eat some of these other foods. And, and for them, it's, it's just a very calm, neutral experience. Um, there's not the fear that I think parents have of, well, if I let my child eat this food too often, that's all they're going to want to eat and they won't eat any of the, the healthy food. Actually, it's, it's the opposite. If you give your child those those regular opportunities to practice eating high value foods to the point of, of feeling satisfied and eating the the more nourishing foods, then then they're probably more likely to eat a wider variety. 
you're right, that is a healthy relationship with food and, you know, you mm. do become an adult and you hope you have some intuition and skills around that. So it's mm-hmm. amazing to be able to see and hear that you've been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess when it comes to maybe a client then coming out who didn't get that, you know, parental kind of support around food and body, I guess how would you help a client who's been exposed to so much diet culture kind mm. of in that? Yeah, so it's such a... a- cliche thing to say but every client is different (laughs) Um, so in terms of a a framework that that I work to there's the the Raves model which was kind of formalized by uh, a dietitian Shane Jeffries and I really love it because it breaks down what can feel to clients quite an overwhelming task i.e. recovery it breaks that down into segments okay we're not trying to do everything all at once we're going to try this then that allows us to do this then we can move on to this and that's how we get you from where you currently are to where you would like to be to to your vision of recovery Um, and and that's a really nice place for me to start with someone is what what would you like my support with what would you like to be different um it is not my job to tell someone how to live their life or how their life should be different just because i might might hear something about a client's eating and think oh you know we could work on that doesn't mean that we have to it, it really comes from the client as to what they want to be different. And then I can offer them, okay, here's how we can go about addressing that. So for people who have a, a disordered pattern of eating, we would look at supporting them to provide their body with nourishing food regularly and make sure that they're eating an adequate amount of food. A lot of my my longer term clients will often joke about how I should get a T-shirt made up that says you probably need, just need to eat more food <laughs> because that, that, you know, is usually the starting advice for most of my clients is you, you're actually undernourishing your body, even if you experience times of binge eating. So working on on helping someone eat regularly and adequately, that's sort of the first stage and that that really scaffolds someone's eating recovery because without enough nourishment, it's really hard for our brains to actually do the heavy lifting involved in the food psychology work. So we have to work on that that physical well-being and, and that that re-nourishment in order to get the most out of therapy. So regular and adequate, then the next letter in the raise is the V, which stands for variety. So this is where we, we um, the client and I would work on expanding the variety of foods that they feel comfortable eating. And so this is not just variety from a nutrition point of view, that, that does come into it. It's, it's more variety in terms of including foods that they like, putting them back into their diet rather than keeping them excluded. 
I hear time and time again, you know, well, I, I can't help myself if I open the packet of Tim Tams, I just end up eating the whole packet. So I just don't buy it. If it's not in the house, I'm not going to eat it. I used to be that person. I, I used to have that with lots of different foods. I used to not keep Nutella in my house. I couldn't keep orange juice, wouldn't keep crisps, ice cream, chocolate, none of that. I, I tried that external control approach and it didn't work. So yeah, this idea that we've got to sort of hold those foods at bay when actually the treatment is to you know, slowly, safely reintroduce those foods back in and build trust. That's essentially what we need to do is build trust again in the body to say when it's had enough, when it feels satisfied. This is really scary for people because their experience has been that they, whenever they eat those foods, they overeat. So based on their past experience, the idea of then letting themselves eat as much of those foods as they want is terrifying. But, you know, that's why we do it within the, the safety of, of the therapy model and we only do that particular exercise when it's safe to do that. But anyway, that's the, the V, so expanding the variety. E stands for the eating socially. So supporting people to be able to go out and, and enjoy a meal with their friends or their family at a restaurant without worrying about the, the calories in the food, without feeling like they have to pick the, the healthiest item on the menu. It's about supporting people to feel comfortable eating food that other people have made that they don't necessarily know what's in there or being okay at a party where there's like a table of food and and you know unrestricted access to food so that's the the e the eating socially and when we've got those in place it allows us to progress to the s which stands for spontaneity so spontaneous eating where you're really guided by the feedback coming from your body so just in the same way that, you know, when when our bladder fills up and, and those stretch signals kind of communicate to our brain, oh, we need to go to the toilet and off we go to the toilet, then we feel better. In the same way, we want to be able to respond to our body's um, natural hunger and fullness and satiety cues um, to inform our eating. So we're not eating by the clock. We're not eating set portion sizes. We're eating when we want, as much as we want of whatever we want, but we're doing that with trust. And so spontaneous eating is that kind of gateway to intuitive eating. And one thing that I would love for people to know about intuitive eating is that many people actually need to go through that more structured recovery process in order to be able to eat intuitively. We can't go from a place of disordered eating to intuitive eating because likely intuitive eating is then just going to be treated as just another diet, just another way to try and get a sense of control through, through food. So there is a, a process that we follow, that raised framework works beautifully for you know, all of the different eating disorder presentations and even for people with disordered eating. So they, you know, sort of subclinical level and people who have just have a history of dieting or multiple weight loss attempts. So it it's a really great approach. And that's how 
I would sort of support someone to heal their relationship with food. Yes, definitely. And I love the spontaneity one because that's where all the joy is. In food. Oh, definitely. Baked food and they've offered it or someone's asked to go get yeah. ice cream or you feel like going and getting ice cream and you go get ice yeah. cream. Like that's where the moments are. That's what you needed. That's it's just day by day. It's it's anything that can happen. Yeah. And and the best thing is that in between those moments of eating, you're not really thinking about food. You're not obsessing over your choices. You're not feeling guilty. You're not counting down the minutes until you're next allowed to eat. Um, you're just living your life, thinking all the wonderful things that you have to think about. Just, you know, in the same way that between going to the toilet, we're not really thinking about going to the toilet. <laughs> So we want hunger and fullness and, and eating to feel like a, you know, that that calm, just another body process in the same way of going to the toilet or regulating our temperature by putting a jumper on or putting the fan on or, you know, it's just something that we do in sync with our body. Yeah, definitely. And there's so many opportunities around food for like spontaneity to come up. You know, your mm. friends best things, you go to a birthday party. There's so many mm -hmm. things that just come up that allow for you to have that spontaneity in those moments. Yeah, yeah and you, you miss out on all of that joy. Eating disorders or, you know, really diet culture is a joy thief. It steals the joy out of eating. And, you know, because food is about so much more than just nutrition. It's about connection with loved ones, with our culture, our heritage. It's a source of comfort. It's a, it's a skill. It's a hobby. It's an interest, like so much more than, than the macro micronutrients. But diet culture discounts all of that and, and really just, yeah, treats it as as the, the calories in the calories out very kind of clinical which is I think is just a, a really sad a sad thing to to happen to not have that love with food I agree because so many people love food have a joy for cooking and baking mm. and, that. and it's so amazing when you go to families that you know cook so much and do yeah. all food. like it's so fun to try different ones and just mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like the love that is put into things yes yes yeah things and it's just yeah and people having like their signature dish that they always get requested at you know christmas lunch and like for my mum that's her pavlova she i she makes the best pavlova i have never had a pavlova better than my mum's <laughs> and she she even has a special plate that she uses to bake the pavlova on that has the recipe for the pavlova on the on the plate and it's it's delicious and and that's something that she's known for you know that she always makes a beautiful pavlova and I think that's lovely like to to be able to bring joy to people through the food that you make like how wonderful yeah, and people would get so excited when they remember that pavlova and that it's coming on Christmas. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, one of my all-time favourite foods, and again, it's a food my mum makes because she she is quite a good cook, is uh, her potato bake. 
And if you asked anyone in my family, like, what food does Claire always ask mum to make? It's it's potato bake, hands down. Um, <laughs> because I have tried, Jessie, I have tried and tried and tried to follow her exact recipe and it never turns out the same. So it's a food that I don't make for myself because I can never make it as good as she does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a food that, that I, you know, she asks if there's a food that I want for a family dinner or something, or do you know what? She actually doesn't even have to ask. She just knows Claire would like a potato bake. <laughs> and that's amazing that she knows what you like and wants to yeah. make what you like. And it's so nice when yeah. people want to do that for you. Absolutely. It's in, you know, it's an expression of love and, and, and being thought of and and that's what I see it as yeah it's very thoughtful yeah <laughs> well I wanted to say thank you so much Claire for you're welcome it's been sensational <laughs> any opportunity to talk about food or talk about my work I'm there I I am fortunate every day to to be in a job that never feels like work and to genuinely love what I do. I'm so privileged, I know, to be in that position. Yes, and it's amazing. I mean, very hard with what you've gone through, but being able to mm. into where you are and then to support other people, it's mm. yes, really nice. <laughs> for anyone who would like to find more information about you, mm -hmm. where could they find you? Yeah, so I, I'm in Perth um, and... I am on Instagram, so my handle is at dietfreeme, so D-I-E-T-F-R-E-E-M-E, -E -E, so at dietfreeme, um, and my website is dietfreeme.com.au, so connect with me via Instagram, get in touch with my website. Um, due to the wonders of telehealth, I am privileged to have clients that live in all parts of Australia, actually. <laughs> got a lovely person in Alice Springs. I've got one over in, in Melbourne. Um, I've got people that live out in, in the country in Western Australia. So I am reachable from, from everywhere over here in, in Little Old Perth. Well, thanks so much, Claire. It's been lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.